reminded uh, this morning that uh, sheep are prone to freak out. Um, and uh, I wanted to talk to you about that just as a pastor this morning. Um, I don't know how your week was. I don't know if how you felt inside of the events of the week. Um, I know that many of you followed the, the bombing in Boston and uh, the aftermath of that, of the um, seeking of those who were responsible and um, just what all that means for our country. I know that as uh, you're probably watching uh, the, the footage of that and how, how that was coming about, um, the days after, there's an explosion in Texas and many people were killed there. And um, even prior to this, in the last few weeks in our own community, we've uh, had an event that um, kind of strikes us as what, what is happening in our world. As well as when we think uh, beyond this, uh, we've had threats from North Korea uh, of missiles and so on and so forth. And as I say uh, that sheep are prone to freak out, um, maybe you're feeling that way inside. Maybe as you watch these things and as you hear about these things, you say, what is going on? Uh, many times when events happen, uh, not in our location, but away, we uh, try to build up a wall and say, well, that's not not near us, so it's no big deal. And then we start thinking, well, could it happen to us? And of course, the answer is yes, that um, anything can happen. And so we may get jittery inside. There may be personal events as well. I don't know what's gone on in your life this week and uh, what's happened. Um, there may be sickness. There may be heartache from family members and friends that you know. Uh, I know uh, Marshall and Sally lost uh, their great-grandson this week. And um little guy, uh, just a sweet little baby. And uh, God took him home. And so... As you think of these things, it's so important for us as believers in Jesus Christ to put it in its place, put it in its place. And this morning I want uh, kind of a pre-message message, if you will. Uh, I want you to turn to John 16. And I want to encourage you with the words of Jesus. Um, there are things that are real and real scary in our world today. And there are many things that could happen to your life uh, that would cause you uh, to want to freak out. Um, and, and I want to encourage you with the words of Jesus because this is the reason He came. As you look at the world events, as you look at sin playing its course in our world, both far away and near to us, you need to remember that this is why Jesus came. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said this. He said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. You get that? In me you may have peace. He did not say, he did not say, in this world, there's going to be a lot of great stuff and peace and all good things are going to happen. He said, look to me, look in me himself, Jesus Christ, and in me you will have peace. 
Um, we all know this, right? When we look to other things, uh, we don't get peaceful. We freak out, right? When they disappoint, when they're not stable. So he says that in me you may have peace. And then he says this, in the world you will have tribulation. In the world you'll have tribulation. Uh, sometimes, almost, maybe some of you will skip it. And that's not what it says, right? He says, in this world you will have tribulation. That when we see events both uh, far away and near to us, we should not be shocked. We should not be, oh no, it's time to freak out. Um, that, that's most of, the, most of the time that's the question we're asking. Is it time to freak out yet? Uh, I feel like the thing to do right now is just to freak out. You know, that's the best solution. In the world you'll have tribulation. But he says this, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. And uh, the reason that we don't freak out today is not because things aren't bad, but because we know and have peace in the one that has overcome the world. I want to encourage you with that today to to place the events that cause you to want to freak out or to become anxious, to say, in Jesus I will find peace. He has overcome the world. I'm okay because He has overcome. Let me pray for us and then we will uh, dive into Matthew chapter 3. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your people. God, I thank you for the beautiful relationship you have offered to us and given to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might have confidence even in a world that is perishing, even in a world that has things that are so wicked that we struggle to understand, even in a world with sickness and disease and death. God, we find peace in you. God, help us to apply that to our lives. Help us to apply that to world events, to the news, to our families. God, for this morning, um, I ask that you would guide our steps through your word, uh, that we might see clearly uh, what it is you want us to see, and that you might rearrange our hearts in, uh, in respect to your word. God, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 3, if you'd turn over there, please. Um, we are... In our study of the book of Matthew, in the last few weeks, we've been talking about uh, John the Baptist and what he has done on this earth. And so John the Baptist, as he came, he didn't come like everybody else, every other preacher. He wasn't a great religious leader in the way he looked. In fact, he looked pretty rough. Um, He didn't go to the center of the city and uh, the best street corner, which would make it easy. In fact, he set up shop out, out outside the city in the wilderness. And as part of God's plan, he did not have a, a, a message that you're all right. He had a message that you need to repent. You need to change. A change in your mind that would come out in the change of your life. That was his message. And, and as you look at uh, Matthew chapter 3, people were coming. They were excited to come and they were drawn to this message. This very different message than the religious leaders had. The religious leaders of the day had either a list of rules or a list of whatever works. And um, John says, 
set all those things aside. You need to change. You need to change to follow after God. In the midst of all these people coming, uh, also those religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees came. And John shared with them as well. Really the same message, but with the intro of, you brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes. Um, he was seeker sensitive, as I shared with you last week. He really wanted to uh, make them feel welcome as they came to hear him preach. And as they came, uh, they came thinking that they were great and were going to add something of this baptism to uh, what what had shaped them. Instead, John shares with them the heart of repentance of his own heart that says, there's one coming that I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes, to touch his feet. I'm not even worthy to be the lowest of servants to him. And then we come to our passage this morning, uh, John chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 3. One of those guys. Matthew chapter 3 and starting at verse 13. Let me read this to you. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So everyone was coming, and then the religious leaders came, and now Jesus has come to John the Baptist. We don't know the time frame here. We, uh, we don't know if this was all in one day. We assume that this was more than one day. Uh, there's an assumption, too, as I look at this passage, that there were probably other people there. This was probably not a private baptism. But as John was going about uh, sharing both to those who are receptive and to correcting the religious leaders with the message of repentance, Jesus shows up. It's interesting, as you look at this, you realize that Jesus, there's been a huge gap in the history of Jesus' life. You have his birth. Actually, even prior to his birth, you have a record of his genealogy, where he has come from by way of family lines. And then you have this birth and all the events, the miraculous prophecies and all that coming together. And then you have the first years of his life as he's been moved from city to city in protection, God's protection of him. And then at least in the book of Matthew, you don't have a record of Really, any of the events is growing up. And then we come to this time, probably a man of 30 or so, uh, more or less, coming and him being uh, connected and coming to the baptism of John. You say, well, why? Well, uh, we don't have a necessarily a definitive why, but as you will see in the book of Matthew, this begins his presentation of him as the Messiah, the King that is to come. Jesus shows up 
And it says he showed up for a particular reason, to be baptized by John. Um, John responds uh, in a heart of repentance, and I'll, I'll read it to you again. It says in verse 14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John had it right. Uh, he, As he sees Jesus, he would have known him as being a family member. And knowing even that he is the Messiah, Jesus comes and Jesus says, I've come to be baptized. And John goes, wait a minute, hold everything. You baptize me, I don't baptize you. He had already explained to to the religious leaders that his baptism was a baptism of repentance. Now I want to uh, I want to point out something here that John uh, he had the heart. We looked at it last week when he talked about holding the sandals of Jesus. That he wasn't even worthy to do that. John had the right heart. And you say, well, what about his right heart? Um, who should baptize Jesus? Who should baptize Jesus? Who'd be the best at it? John the Baptist, right? You know, it's his name, right? It's what he was known for. In fact, we don't have a history of anybody else being famous for baptism. But this guy, this is what they called him. It it was what he was good at. In fact, as you could think of the recent history of the events, there may have been... Hundreds, thousands of people that he had baptized in the days leading up to that. And and John, to be honest, this is how many of us would have handled these days. Jesus is coming. He wants to be baptized. Well, of course. I'm good at it. Look at all these people. You know, I was going through the, the, the numbers, the numbers. I've kept a record here. You know why I know he kept a record? Because he was a Baptist. Okay, John the Baptist, they count everything. Okay, so he had his little tally and he goes, man, I've been doing pretty good here. This has been a successful deal. And so if anyone should baptize Jesus, it should be me. This is how many of us would think. This has been, I'm John the Baptist. But what does he do? As Jesus comes, he says, no, this isn't the way this should happen. I'm the one that needs to be baptized. You would be the one to baptize me. That's a heart of repentance. That's a heart of someone who never sees himself as worthy. Um, I want to take this too far, but I do want to point out, how do you see yourself as a servant? How do you see yourself as a servant? When the phone rings and somebody asks you to serve the Lord, as, as God calls on you to serve, how do you respond to that? Oh, I hope they don't call. <laughs> hope they don't call. You know what our first response to the, uh, to the offer and the opportunity of service should be? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. You say, I don't get it. Let me put it to you this way. We're going to have a work day next week. You're not worthy to sweep... The, the, you're not worthy to sweep the walkway or the parking lot of Bear Valley Church. You're not. And I'm not either. I'm not either. 
to do the most insignificant task in the Lord's kingdom, we are not worthy to do. And you say, well, I'm not looking for a a role of servant. I'm kind of looking for a managerial role of servants. Middle management, I'm really good at middle management, or even higher up, you know. Uh, We're not worthy of it. And so when Jesus comes, the first response of John is, that this is I, I'm not worthy for this. I'm not worthy for this. He was right um, as he understood it because what he had already told the religious leaders was his baptism was a baptism of repentance. And who needed to repent? Did Jesus need to repent or did John need to repent? John needed to, right? He was the sinner. Jesus was not. And so uh, it took some further enlightenment from Jesus as to why he would be baptized. As you look down in verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 15. But Jesus answered him saying, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That's what we're looking for in life, right? Uh, we're looking for Jesus to direct us definitively. We get we get it wrong all the time, where we're supposed to be and where we're not supposed to be. John says, I'm not going to baptize you. you. You need to baptize me. And Jesus says, you're going to baptize me. Okay? That's what we're looking for. We're looking for the direction of God in our lives and Him to say, this is what we are going to do or not going to do. As Jesus spoke to John, he said, uh, this is what you need to do. This is what we need to do for me to be baptized for this specific reason. Because it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. There's a lot going on in that phrase right there. I just want to tell you. But the gist of it is this, that Jesus is saying, this is what's supposed to happen in the eyes of the Father. This is what needs to happen. And as this comes together, prophecy comes together. The plan of God as he's working this out, it's the right time. It's the right place. He's the right person. Jesus needed to be baptized, not because of his sins, but because of what he desired to accomplish in his own baptism in his life. You look at this event and you say, well, what how, What did it mean? How did it come together? Well, baptism in and of itself um, is, we find out later, is the picture of death and resurrection. Okay? So do you, do you see how amazing this is? That Jesus, in his own baptism, is foreshadowing or foretelling of the very thing that he is going to do. As Jesus would have been laid down into the water and and brought up again. Not sprinkled. I just want to point that out. Okay. Uh, Be careful here. I won't talk about it too much. But think about it. As he is baptized, as he is brought down into the water, he is picturing something. What is it? His own death and resurrection that is to come. He's picturing that. It's part of the plan of God. It's to fulfill all righteousness. It's to set the course. As you look at this, um, some have said that this is the starter pistol to the, the ministry of the Messiah, of the King. 
that this will begin as we look in the book of Matthew of all these events, both miraculous and teachings, that Jesus presents himself as this King Messiah. It's part of the plan. I find something interesting um, that uh, this is is so hard for me to to put this into perspective. But so they're out in the wilderness; um, they're away from everybody, and Jesus comes to them. He comes to them. He comes to John to be baptized, and all these sinners are being baptized. And Jesus says, I too will be baptized like you. What this is, is Jesus' identification with sinners. I want to say that carefully, and I want you to hear it clearly, is that he is not like sinners in the sense that he is a sinner as well. But what he does, he comes to John and he says, let me be baptized as well. He reaches out. He enters in to the sinner's world. That's what he does for us. It's so hard for me to to think about this because what should have happened is like many of the events in the life of Christ is wherever he was, he should have sent a message to John saying, "Uh, John, you need to come over here. I need to be baptized. You, you need to, yeah, and I'm not doing it in any gross water or on a day. You're going to fit into my schedule, in my place, at my time, and you better be there because I'm in charge. I'm the king. And you get this beautiful picture of Christ coming, him coming to John, and in humility, him even being baptized. You get this picture here of his identification with sinners. You also have here him being the model, the model for Christian baptism that is to come. And as you see this coming together, you see John the Baptist being uh, prophesied about Christ, being prophesied about the plan of God working out from all eternity, coming together that now in this time that he is to be baptized and that to set forth a course where he is to present himself as king, the Messiah, and not just the king Messiah, but the one that is to die uh, for sinners. I find this interesting as Matthew records it. Let it be so now, uh, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And then it says this, then he consented. Then he consented. Um, Just issue of obedience there. Uh, when you know Jesus wants you to do something, you should do it. You should consent, relent, submit. Uh, all those good words right there, okay? When the king says, jump, you should say, yeah, jump. I'm jumping. How high? I'm higher. Like, what do you want me to do? As John the Baptist saw himself as being one who was under the king, he consented. Well, um, John had baptized many people, probably by this time, many people. But this was different in some way. As you look down at verse 16, it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, from which he was sprinkled by. Does it say that? No, he went up from the water. He was in the water and he was out of the water, okay? And behold, the heavens were open to him, 
He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Um, many people were crucified in biblical times. But if you were there for the crucifixion of Christ, you would have known that it was different. With all the events that happened and uh, the darkness and the rumblings and all, all that went on, you would have known that it was different. Many people were baptized as well. And John was probably good at it. He had a rhythm to it. He knew what he was doing. And as he baptized Jesus, something very different happened. Something very different. We don't know how many people were there. Uh, we assume that there were people there. We assume also, I assume, that at least John, if not others, would have had these same experiences and known to some degree that this was different. That Jesus was the one that was different. And the events went like this. As he came up from the water, the heavens were open up to him. I don't know what that looked like or how that happened, but you get this amazing picture of the heavens opening up and there being uh, uh, something special about the heavens and him at that moment. You've got this interchange too. This is the Spirit of God coming down as if a dove. I know that when we think of the dove, that it actually flew down. But we don't know exactly if there was something visible that was like... We don't know. It was something like that. But that not just that heaven was open up, but that something came down. Spirit of God onto Jesus. And as we look at this, this beautiful picture, this amazing, miraculous picture of what happened at his baptism, we see this. That uh, this dove come resting on him and then the voice from heaven. I want you to get this because I think this is very important. You have, uh, you have God, the Father. You have this intimate picture of the Father and the Son here. And the marker, because of the heavens opening and the uh, the Spirit of God descending upon him, you have this obvious connection, this intimate picture at the point of baptism with the Father and the Son. Intimate picture, this, this incredible, uh, miraculous sign that this is something different. But not just that, as we look at, at the end of... What has happened here? It says this in verse 70. And behold, the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. It's not just a miraculous sign, but it's a voice of God saying, This is my Son. This is my Son. Parents, you know uh, that you have a connection with your children. There's an intimacy there. Um, you sometimes introduce them in such a way where you say, this is my son or this is my daughter. Sometimes that's in pride and, and your heart welling up with goodness. And other times it's in embarrassment, right? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about here. It, it's going to back to school night sometimes, Right? When your child isn't doing so well and you, you, they introduce themselves, I'm Mr. and Mrs. Bo. Oh, you're Kevin's dad. Oh. And you 
go, you cringe and you go, oh, yeah, what? Tell me what. What we see here is this miraculous, this beautiful, beautiful picture of the father looking at his son and verbally so that people could hear and assuming John, maybe assuming the others, this is my son. You, you look at this and what is this doing? What is this doing? It is miraculously and perfectly identifying him as the son of God, the son of God, which will continue throughout his his, his earthly life, presenting him as the perfect sacrifice, the son of God. But not just that. This is my son. This is my special son, the son of God, in whom I am well pleased. As the father has and had a plan at that moment and has a plan for all of eternity, he looks at his baptism and the life that was to come and he says, and this is, I'm well pleased with this. I am behind my son all the way. I, I am approving of what he is doing right now. I am in connection and full agreement with what my son is doing. You look at this beautiful picture and you say, the father and the son are in full agreement with one another in the plan that is coming about. You say, well, um, yeah, it seems, seems, yeah, I, I can, I can understand that. It seems very, very, uh, I don't know, common or simple that, of course, the father and the son would have been in agreement with this. But as you put it in the context of his whole life, the life of Christ, and not just his whole life, but specifically what he came to do. And giving himself as a sacrifice for sinners. And not just that he would give himself, but that he would also be the king, the Lord that we should follow. You see the the plan of God working out in the life of Christ. Well, this morning, I I just want to reiterate three things as we... uh, try to get our minds around what has happened in the miraculous baptism of Christ. I realize that I've said this um, probably the last five or six weeks as we've gone over the book of Matthew, and I'll probably say it for the next couple of years as we go through the book of Matthew. But the point, uh, one of the points of this passage that we cannot get away from is this. Jesus is the King Messiah. He is the King Messiah. There is no other. And you say, well, yeah, I understand that. The point here is this, that that so often in life we're uh, trading things out, looking for something better. Sometimes uh, we did this when we were young with friends. We would have a best friend in, in third grade and we'd go, oh, I just, this is my best friend and yet I get tired of him. So we trade him out, Right. We get rid of them. We fire them as our best friend and we hire a new best friend and we're best friends. And then we fire, you know, we just keep cycling. Why? Because we're looking for the one. Sometimes we do this in relationships. We go around looking and searching for the right one. And all the while we are looking for Jesus. We just don't know it. 
the King, Messiah, the one that we are to, to cling to and, and live with, not just for today, not just even for this life, but for eternity. And Jesus so identifies himself throughout the book of Matthew and really all the Gospels and all the Scripture as, I am the one, I am the one you've been looking for, the King the one who could save you from your sins, the one that was planned, the one that was to come and to die, the King Messiah. Secondly, um, I just want to reiterate that Jesus came. He came to be in the midst of us, in the midst of us. Um, what an amazing picture as Jesus would come out to the wilderness with common men and with even John the Baptist, this scraggly looking guy with hair going all over the place and eating grasshoppers, right? And you say, well, why would he do that? Why would he come out there? Because his desire was not that as a king that he would be high up on a hill and everyone would be drawn to him, but he came to be in the midst of us. You say, well, what does that mean for me? Uh, it means a lot. It means a lot. Uh, some of us look at our lives as pretty private. Uh, we like it that way. We have to have it that way because we've messed up our lives so well. We're like, nobody comes to my house. Nobody sees what's going on inside. Nobody. I try not to share with anybody. Everyone's out there and I'm right here because it's too big of a mess for anyone to come inside. And even maybe you coming this morning is a representation of that. You say, I need to go and meet with God, but I'll leave my mess at home. I'll leave my mess at home, my mess of a life. And God will be at church, and I will go home, and this is how this life is meant to be. I'm supposed to get good and go to church. But I want you to get this picture. It's super important. Jesus did not come His purpose in coming to this world, His purpose in going to get baptized, His purpose even as part of His baptism, was He came to be with us. And you know what? You need Him. You need Him. In the mess of your life, in the things that you struggle with, in the private thoughts that you have, Jesus came to be in the midst with you. He, He came to be with you. And so as we look at life, it's not God's over here and the mess of my life is over here. Is that we welcome him in. Say, do what you want. Straighten things up. Take things out. Remove things. Replace them. You know what that is? That's repentance. It's letting him have his way. Jesus came to, to be in the midst of sinful mankind. Thirdly, I want to point this out. I think it's important. Do you see the elements of the gospel in this passage? You say, well, I don't know what exactly you mean by that. Um, let me say it like this. Uh, this passage, you have sinners, right? All those people are coming. Every one of them was sinners. John the Baptist as well, sinners. Religious leaders, definitely sinners. Okay? Everyone's sinners. So you have sinful man. Um that is happening today, that would be us, right? It would be us, sinful man. Sinful mankind, right? Uh, there were structures and political things that were happening in the day. We looked to the previous passages where they had kings and kingdoms, and kingdoms, 
kings died and were replaced and there were places that were hotbeds to violence and others were not and they kind of moved around. There was a world, there was a sinful world that this happened in. So there were sinful people, there were sinful mankind. Third point you you see here is Jesus' connection with sinful man. Jesus enters. We just talked about that. Jesus enters. But but this is what I want you to see. This is so so great, I think. You have the Spirit of God present. You have the Spirit of God present. And you have the relationship, the sweet, perfect, holy, intimate relationship with the Father and the Son. And what you see is this. The Father and the Son's relationship is perfect. It's beautiful. It's holy. It's intimate. And then what? Jesus enters into sinful man. He enters into the world of sinful man. And you say, well, um, what's the big deal? It's real simple, okay? When those people were baptized, the heavens didn't open. The heavens didn't open. There wasn't a relationship with the Father to the one being baptized, the relationship here is the gospel relationship that says, I am connected to the Father through the Son. I am a sinner. I can't get away from that apart from being connected to the Son who's connected to the Father. It's the gospel. And I want us all to remember, even in this passage this morning, if I am not connected to the Son, I am not connected to the Father. I don't experience the beautiful intimacy with God apart from what Jesus has done on my behalf. This is why Jesus has come for sinners like us. Let's pray.